Welcome, welcome everybody to episode 49 of I Understood That Reference. Rob, my friend, how are you today? Oh, hello. It's the big one. It's it's a comment. Well, actually, oh. it's interesting. This is a bit of a, probably a bit of a beast of an episode. Or we'll see how the, the, the edit looks at the end. But, or you will, Mr. Editor. But um, I think also, I'm kind of glad this isn't our 50th celebration episode. I am so, so glad that I was thinking the very same thing. You're kind of apt that it's the last episode before a big 50th episode. Yeah. It's like, this could have been a big one, but it wasn't a big, great thing. So we're going to continue on with something else for the next one. Maybe that's what's happening. <laughs> so, okay, here's, here, here, I'm going to lay it out for the, for the listeners. Yeah, and let's do this it. Is a, this is a, yeah, this is a very different episode in a way because this is probably as close as anybody would ever get to just sitting down in a pub with me and Rob and having a discussion. Mm. I don't know what Rob thinks of the film. Rob doesn't know what I think of the film. Yeah. So we're literally about to just throw this on the line. And I think it's going to be a huge discussion. So basically... What I will say is that if you drink tea or coffee, brew it now. If you drink alcohol, crack open an owl can because this is going to be fairly, fairly heavy and fairly into it, I would say. Yeah. And also the film in question is Justice League, the Snyder Cut, in case we didn't say that up top. Maybe it's in the title. I don't know what we're doing at the moment. Yeah. So I think we're doing, we're going to do less of the tomfoolery and more of like, we're going to have to die straight in because um, it's quite, quite a beast that we need to, to tackle here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, is there any other house kicking, keeping, kicking, house kicking, kick the house up, <laughs> kicking tires in a car. Is this a good house? Kick the skirting board. Um, any housekeeping, Ross, you need to get out of the way. <laughs> before. Yes, there, there, there is one tiny bit of housekeeping. And that is, of course, next episode is our 50th episode. And we would love to like hear from you guys. If you want to send us in voice notes or send an email, we'll read them out in the air. Any questions about the podcast you have for us? Because we have some already. But just keep them coming, guys. And that's at, send it to the lads at capunderstands.com or DM us on Twitter or just tweet at us and we'll get it one of those ways. But yeah, if you do have any questions about the pod or anything like that, any comments, just send them on to us and we'll read them out the next episode. Super. All right then. I guess I guess let's just let's just do this. Let's jump on in. This is the Zack Snyder Justice League cut. Spoilers from the start. Yeah. I, I don't know what Rob thinks of it. I'm literally foaming at the mouth. I'm biting all my fingernails in anticipation. So I guess I guess spoilers everybody and let's do this rob do you want to go first say 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 your overall thoughts or do you want to what way do you want to do this i i think i want to i want to preface a few things in light of recent developments <laughs> oh and just of also just in general i think to sort of maybe put some people at ease here this is not despite what other episodes might attest this is not like some sort of and i don't know what ross is going to say and mine, my, my, my opinions here might surprise people as well who've listened to previous episodes. But this isn't like an intentional, like we're look, we're looking to bash on Zack Snyder, we're looking to bash on the DCEU, or we're like we we hate that line of films, or we're just looking for looking for faults and looking for flaws. This isn't the approach here, or at least personally anyway. To for context, uh, Ross and I like love uh, a lot of the DC superheroes. Batman has always been my favorite growing up. So like we have a vested interest in this being good as well. I want to, I want to stress that we want these films to be good. So when we review them and we give them our overall thoughts, it's on the basis of, we have high expectations for these things. So that's, that's, that's where I'm coming from. Like whatever we say after the fact, after this point is just take it as these are our personal opinions from people who love, comic book movies so that's why this is how we're approaching this <laughs> unless of course ross completely disagrees with that approach <laughs> no no I, I completely agree and i was going to say secondary to that 
also take on board that this we're not talking about well from my perspective here i'm going to talk about solely the film on its own merits i'm not talking about any kind of backstage who liked who or who tried to cut somebody out or there was like a you know intentional effort to piss somebody off i'm not talking about anything like that my all my points are about the film as a film you know as what is it as a film what does it have what does it offer it's not about any of the too much of that obviously we'll touch on it because it has to be touched on but from my mm-hmm. side it's not about any of the backstage perspective the, the politics and the bureaucracy and yeah exactly yeah, yeah. this is just on the quality of a, and solely of the film alone and like look we're allowed to compare it to the, the justice league original we're allowed to compare it to other films but you know, basically, we're not doing this backstage. So yeah, I guess is that enough prefacing? Do you have any more prefacing to do? I, I, I yeah, no, we don't need to overkill. I just wanted to set the tone a bit. I think a little bit, which is fair. Yeah, I, th- I think you have to do it these days. I mean, oh god, I'm sweating here. I am excited. I'm so excited about this. I, I kind of want to hear your versions first, per- personally, unless yeah. you feel like yours is are, are are more reactionary. Not at all. I I can totally go first. Okay. If people have listened to this podcast already, uh, you know kind of our takes and what we said about leading up to this. So you know where we stand at the moment. And a lot of people on Twitter as well were saying, look, we want to hear your views. Not not necessarily as if we talked about this a lot. So maybe this will be the last time we do it, but we had to review it and we had to talk about it now that it's released. Oh yeah, totally, yeah. I have two two things to say up front, okay? Now, the first thing is, I I, I take back... (laughs) everything every bad word i've ever said about man of steel because this film was terrible and it makes me just think about (laughs) man of steel in a completely different light now it makes me just forgive all of its mistakes everything i've criticized about it i've 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 retaught about it and after watching this film i'm like oh my god i will i will be i'll go so easy on man of steel in the future it's it's fine put it on ahead eight out of ten film nine out of ten film slotted on in there were films i'll watch anytime the second thing i have to say and this is going to be hugely controversial okay but i have so much to back it up so i will i will back it up i'm gonna okay. say what it is but then i'll let you give your point of view first Right, this is going to be so controversial. I completely understand about, and in theory, I completely understand in theory, most of the changes and the edits that Joss Whedon made. And I will actually defend him. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. That's, yeah. I wow. Know. It's, yeah. But uh, look, I have lots to explain why. I'm not saying all his choices were right because they're not. Um, uh, but I'm just saying that af- upon viewing that film, I understand in theory why and where he made those cuts. So that's my that's my overall yeah. Rob, what is yours? Oh, uh, oh god. Okay, oh. this is interesting. Oh. I think now actually I can't really remember the Joss Whedon was much, but I think personally, just to summarize, this is an outrageously ambitious film in terms of the concept of what obviously I'm not saying what the final product became, but what they wanted to achieve with this is simply outrageous. <laughs> like, I... Th- th- just the fact that, like, the reason it's four hours is, is because of how much they wanted to accomplish. Quite frankly, I think the story is technically more coherent or at least more understandable than the previous one, the the, the, the Justice League. I think it's easier to follow because it doesn't... But that's both to its positive and to its detriment. Basically, the, the story is clear because it's longer and it takes more time to explain what it's trying to do. So it's better. The story is better in that sense, but the gaps, and but that meant that that's why there was gaps created in the justice league. I think it's crazy how much knowing now, how much they binned from the 
from the from the from this original one versus what came out. I, honestly, it's shocking to me that this is. I I couldn't believe how different it is actually in terms of the final product. Personally, I think based on, despite the runtime, I think this is objectively better. I I know you might be. I think that you know you might think that they made the. I, I, you're defending why they made decisions to make cuts. I think comparing the two films as films, this is objectively better because. There is more core, more co- more coherence. It's not as jarring. It's not as sloppy. It's not as rushed. But again, that's because the other one is the symptom of a rushed production. I, I'm not saying I liked it. I'm saying, it's better. But if I were to give what my <laughs> thoughts of this film as are, as a, as a standalone film, I didn't care for it. This gave me. I'm rewatching the MCU at the moment, and it's not supposed to be MCU versus DCU. But this gave me the same feeling of meh as Iron Man 2 did. If I were to give it like a benchmark of, I don't think this film is absolutely atrocious, but I didn't care for it. I left kind of going, what have I just spent four hours watching? Really? There's good beats in there, some terrible decisions in there. I honestly, I felt quite drained by the time it was over, which is a bad thing. Because I know some people have said they felt like the floor, four hours flew by. I disagree. I struggled by the time I got to the end, I was like, oh my God, please let this be the final scene because it's leaving me in a, 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 like a state of, of impatience and sort of frustration that we're still, we're still, we're still going through this. How is this movie still going on? So I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't think it's great. It was okay, is what I would say. And I, I have plenty of points to back up why I don't think it reached the pinnacle of the Snyderverse the way people think it does. A lot of it has to do with comparisons to similar films. A lot of it has to do with it just as a standalone film. And a lot of it has to do with Zack Snyder's approach to filmmaking in general. But how does that <laughs> how does that stack up with what you were expecting? It, 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 to be honest, it stacks up. I, I pretty much, that's what I assumed you were going to say. I was hoping that you were going to say that. Okay, I have to discuss this here. It'd only be for two minutes, but... Go for it. Have you looked at any of the reviews online? Have you looked at the feedback? Like, is 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 there some weird collective madness going on that people seem to be saying how good this film is and that it's a great vision and that it really... It's what a film should have been. Eight out of tens, nines out of tens going around the place. I, I don't understand what's happening here. Even reviewers like Red Letter Media, which I would usually consider like great and very very unbiased and very like they, they said it was really enjoyable and really good and like everything almost they said about and how it sets up plot points and all that i would disagree with them on this i don't get what's happening here i, I don't understand it i've never seen something like this in cinema and i wonder is it purely because it's like a fight back and like a, a like a finger in the eye to studio studio meddling and is that all is that the only reason that it is it has nothing to do with the quality of the film but it's it's so like i've seen a lot of reviews lately and it, I, it's there's almost no negative reviews out there almost none so <laughs> that's a loaded question for a number of reasons and it's i think there, there's a look we'll get to the larger problem around rating re- reviewing a movie positively because the movie sticks it to the man that's not the way you review something first just because you know people are like oh, they're, 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 oh stu- i'm giving this 10 out of 10 because it really it'll make the studio regret their decision that's not how you review something you're not reviewing no. it because of this and st- this this external factor that you're trying to like you feel like you've won that's not that's not the way to approach it but also like you know i'm a big believer in not a big believer but i i use metacritic as a, as a reference point not as the be all and all just as a reference point of what sort of the general critical reception is obviously versus the audience 
and the meta the meta score which obviously aggregates not like rotten tomatoes where it's just random sorts of, which is a far more arbitrary metric this like sort of weights you know official reviews and sort of aggregates them it's 54 to 100 and i remember thinking that's interesting i wonder will i will i land above or below that when i watch it i think that's right on the money i think it's right on the money actually that aggregate you've got some outrageously positive reviews in there from like the telegraph the guardian which is shocking peter yeah, brad sh- shocking. peter peter bradshaw again the snobbiest <laughs> man on planet earth has gave it like a four to five and i'm like and 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 i think this speaks to something we'll get to in a sec then by comparison the user score is is nine out of ten and it's mostly it's two uh, two thousand eight hundred ten out of ten scores from fans and i think this speaks to your larger question of how do people review these films People are just saying, this is a masterpiece. This is what we always wanted. There's no actual criticism or like, there's no critical thinking applied to, well, you know, why was it good? Or it's just a generic, oh, I loved the character development. 10 out of 10. Like, honestly, if you look at some of these, and you know, some people maybe really have loved it. And there is a fan base for Zach's films. And this is exactly what they wanted. And he delivered it to them. So that's, to be fair, why a lot of these scores are also 10 out of 10. But I think the problem was, is that, People are reviewing this, like you said, as a reaction to what happened to the previous one and how it was handled. They're not reviewing it as a film. Also, a lot of these very, what I'm using inverted commas here, what are these distinguished publications and reviewers, th- their approach is without it is from a complete lack of understanding of how the super these superheroes work and what the characters yeah. are actually like and no understanding of the backstory. All their, honestly, so many of the reviews, and I haven't tried to read too many, just kind of my normal hits. Like Little White Lies actually was pretty on the mark in terms of similar to where I landed. Empire was three to five, and I, I normally line up with them more or less. They were just kind of like, as a film, it's it doesn't, it's not good, but you can understand where there's great fan service in here. And that's what's, that's what's shaping reviews and coloring reviews and also but yeah but that's not fair that's not of course it's not you can't do that you can't throw out a garbage film which the first one absolutely was and then review this one positively on the basis solely that it's better than the last one which is what is happening a lot of the time so I have I have because I want to I tried to do when I was making my notes and stuff I tried to make as little comparisons to Marvel movies as I could and I'm actually going to use Bumblebee as a reference point for so many reasons why this film fails and why a lot of the character arcs and stuff don't make any sense at all and okay. why there's no none of the beats and all this and so I mean like look will we just will we just jump on into our points then do you want do you want to yeah let, let's let's start diving in let's start let's start and like look I think we've we've hit the fact that. I don't think it was woeful like the first one, but I don't think this is. I don't think this is great, and we'll get to that. And like to yeah. your point, you didn't enjoy it. And for the record, for people who are really precious about that, and this is a big win for people who campaigned to get this back. You know, power to you. Like this is a huge. Like this is this is such an amazing moment in time, or like as a country, as a cultural phenomenon to like sort of reverse like a studio decision and get this released. I think you know. I think it is. It is fascinating that this has happened, and you know, if you enjoyed it, then fair play. But criticizing it as a film is also allowed because it is a film. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dive in. Right. So I I, I want to I want because I made those outrageous Joss Whedon version. Oh, I, I I'm I'm licking my lips waiting for these. This is exciting. Perfect. Because you're gonna have to also catch me up on I forget some of the specifics of where the cuts were. I remember the basics. No problem. I have yeah. I have it all here. Don't worry. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna. I, there's like a few key scenes that I'm going to use to further my argument here. For example, the first one is the fight between 
where in the Justice League Snyder cut, it, it's all in the one actually collective scene. And there's loads of different examples of why it works and then why the Joss Whedon one worked for me and this one didn't. Okay. And then I'm going to use the, the ending fight as, again, why it worked for me and why the new Justice League Snyder cut didn't work for me. So, first one. In in this, the Snyder Cut version, they tell the story of how it's Wonder Woman is telling Batman the story of how... Uh, Darkseid came from whatever his planet apocalypse and fought all the combined forces of Earth okay Mm -hmm. so where it's told is in the Batcave it's in this like real weird industrial looking thing and they're in that on this like troop carrier and there's no there's no humanity in the scene or there's no reference point for me to, to to think of these characters as two people talking to each other so as she tells the story Wonder Woman she tells that Darkseid came down, Darkseid gets his ass kicked, literally ass handed to him by a group of like all the combined forces of Earth, and his stupid soulless minions have to drag him bloody and screaming back onto his ship. And as they're flying away, all the Earth people start like blowing up their ships and everything. And you're like, okay. Already in that scene, I'm like, you've undercut your main villain. Like, main villain of a trilogy of films, as in all the new Justice Leagues, because Darkseid is already being defeated in his first appearance. Secondly, you've undercut the villain of this film, who is the minion of that bad guy. So he's the minion of the guy who already got defeated, not even the guy who got defeated. <laughs> and thirdly, they're having it in this completely soulless environment that I, I can't in- imagine people doing. In, in the Joss Whedon version, it's Steppenwolf who comes down. Steppenwolf comes down, gets beaten by the people of Earth, vows revenge and comes back. Wonder Woman is telling this to Batman at a lakeside near this, like, there's a wood, wood in the background, it's on the Matt Wayne Manor. Already, it's more like two people having a conversation because they're walking beside a lake and they're walking beside a river. I can imagine that as a place where two people would have a conversation. Again, Steppenwolf gets beaten, but he vows revenge and comes back. So I'm okay with that. All right, here he is coming back and getting revenge. There's an army there before, there's not now. Already, those little tweaks do enough for me to be like, okay, okay, I'm more on board with this. As in, I can understand that there's characters and humans talking to each other. And I already didn't see the big bad guy already get his arse kicked. So it gives him legitimacy. Not removes any sense of legitimacy, both from the big villain and the villain in this film. And the second part I'm going to talk about is in the exact same similar vein. It's at the very end when, and this is, there's huge changes here. Is that when they're fighting Steppenwolf at the end, there's this whole russian family brought in and this whole the civilians that need saving arc brought in so when superman comes in at the end of this film and snyder cut he just punches he punches steppenwolf a few times and does nothing else that's literally his entire involvement in the fight in the joss whedon version he comes in batman's like we gotta get and austin superman's like wait i can hear civilians and he flies off to save all the civilians and the flash also goes to save the civilians this moment gives them humanity. It actually shows you the characters doing superheroics. So they're trying to save people, okay? They're trying to do something to help external people, people other than those in the Justice League. And all of that is removed. All of that humanity is sapped from the Justice League version, the Snyder Cut version. So it it actually, the little tweaks actually remove any sort of humanity from these characters. There's no relatability whatsoever in the Snyder Cut. So that kind of is, I think, the biggest. I know the quips that Joss Whedon did, way, way, way too much. Way too much quips. Yeah, and yeah. to get Danny Elfman to do the music, a terrible decision because the soundtrack is much better here. But it is. from from that humanizing point of view, I completely understand where Joss Whedon was coming from. Mm. I, I, you know, I think, I hear it. That's, 
Okay, they're, they're very interesting points because I detest that previous version, but not because. So do I. So do I. I just want to highlight. I know, <laughs> but not because not because of the creative decisions entirely. A lot of it's just clearly like a mess. It's just a mess that first one because he had a few, he had a handful of months to cobble together what he could. So he salvaged and added moments, I guess, based on your sort of interpretation there, that he could to bring back the characters to a more comic booky style that he's familiar with because that's where. Zack Snyder goes off in his own interpretation of characters. Whedon is pretty good at, at being loyal to the core attributes and yes. sort of styles, and like you see that through a lot of his work. He's and he's he's a, he's a huge believer in now sometimes to the film's own detriment. And there's huge criticisms in the Marvel films for often undercutting dramatic moments with silly quips and humor. Then and we Whedon is suspect number one for that. That actually he nearly carried that on. It's like indefinitely after after he left his indelible mark on the, on the MCU, but I, I it's like it's like it's your point. It's like comparing like both are not up to scratch is my issue, um, and we can speak to the some of the larger set pieces for this film in more detail. And um, what what I think is interesting around how you talk about the uh, I was going to bring it up this point later, but I think it 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 balances nice with what you said here around. Okay, so what we're saying here is. Whedon made those changes because he has a fundamental understanding of the characters, these comic book characters, these superheroes, and like you know where they've come from and what their story is, and you know what actual comic book fans um, expect from these from these folks. And before you even brought that up, I have a note in here that for me this film confirms that Snyder doesn't truly understand these characters. Rather, he's he's simply aware of what people find cool, <laughs> and sort of goes down that route or and i'll give you a great example of this and this this to support my point about where his understanding lies this is a quote i did a bit of research around okay there's loads of behind the scenes footage of the this his version now this is this is a quote from Zack snyder i talk about uh the, the main characters uh, and the actors he put them he said i cast them in their alter ego first and modeled that to who they were as people because it's more grounded it allows you to accept the heap the superhero now in a much easier way what the fuck does that mean? Like, that that's not a point. That's not... A, so what he's trying to suggest there is, I think, is that he's saying, oh, well, I'm letting sort of the, 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 the actual... The, the superhero character inform the actors, but then the actors themselves, who they are as people, then reinform what the character is like on screen. But that's not... That's not the point here. That's like saying, oh, if... Oh, if we talk about, you know, who any of the MCU casting was, if we let them as people completely define what the character is like. So what he's saying is he's just decided he's going to change what the fundamental aspects of these superheroes are based on what he feels like the the actors that he cast them in. Like, it's a very jumbled approach to what he thinks is this artistic decision, which is just not, which is not true. Yeah, or, or that, he, or that he, or he looks at Batman and goes, I'm going to cast someone who's a good Batman and I don't give a shit about Bruce Wayne. Or I'm going to cast a good Superman and not give a shit about Clark Kent. And I mean, imagine if they looked at Chris Evans for Captain America and said, I don't care about Steve Rogers or I don't care about Tony Stark. I just want somebody good as Iron Man and good as Captain America. That's an awful, awful. And again, it, it literally talks to exactly the point I was trying to make there about how there's no humanity to these characters. I can't imagine any of these characters as people at all i can only imagine them as these like godlike superheroes I, I can't imagine them having a conversation like me and you would have a conversation and have a pint i can't imagine 
those characters having a pint together in a bar, being like, ha, did you see fucking Steppenwolf, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Oh, I mean, wow, this is, this is already a very negative episode, but I don't care because this is what it is. And people probably aren't going to enjoy this because we're ratting at it. But anyway, another thing, and like, it, it, it kind of continues on in that, along the vein of, like, he thinks that he, that people will enjoy it more. He, ironically, thinks that he's made them more relatable because he he's letting the actors in their real lives inform what the characters are like. But I'm sorry, I don't relate to any of those multi-millionaires. That's... <laughs> so it's even less of a reason for me to relate to these super... Like, I don't expect to relate too much to a superhero anyway. Like, they're, they're this at another echelon entirely. Like, I might relate to, like, oh, their sense of humor or their empathy or something, but that's about the extent of it. Like, they're supposed to be... This, they don't have to be, like your interpretation of what people like he's just he's just looking for an basically that quote said for me he was looking basically for an excuse to change the characters to a way that he wanted that he that would fit his vision that would fit his vision so it's and when people talk about this does justice to the characters they're what they're actually saying the fans of the film they're actually saying this this film does justice league if you'll forgive the bloody bond don't mind if i do but this film does justice to the version of the, f- the characters that Zack himself created, which is not the same as being true to the comics. Um, and that's an important distinction. And, and can I take that point then? And Please, run with it. I'm glad you said it, because I didn't know how I was going to bring this point in. But it, it, all of a sudden, Man of Steel and conversations we've had on this podcast make sense all of a sudden. Because <laughs> all this time, remember I said to you, like the music in Man of Steel is so hopeful and like Superman's a bright, colourful character. He's all about hope and like an aspiration and inspiration. And I couldn't understand his portrayal like in Batman versus Superman. And then at the end of even Man of Steel, I'm like, he never gets a chance to be really hopeful. And all of a sudden, when I watched the Snyder Cut, I got it. It all made sense. Because in Zack Snyder's head, it's not about Superman being hopeful. It's not about him being inspirational. It's about him being terrifying. You're supposed to be afraid of Superman because he's always going to be the villain. He's he's been chained into this bad guy. So you see his powers. You're not supposed to be like, oh my God, he's going to save us all. You're supposed to think he's going to kill us all. And it just made sense all of a sudden why... Hans Zimmer obviously made that soundtrack thinking Superman is the, you know what I mean, the upbeat, the hopeful guy. And Zack Snyder was like, well, I mean, this is not what I'm going to make him for. I'm making him to, to turn him into a villain in the next film. In Batman vs. Superman, when Batman's like, no matter what he does, if there's even a chance you're going to have to kill him. When I watch that film, I'm like, well, that's awful. You're supposed to agree with Batman. You're supposed to be like, like obviously Zack Snyder is like, everyone's going to be like, yeah, go Batman. You got to stop this guy, Superman. And I could never understand it until I watched the Justice League cut, the Snyder cut, because it, again, it reinforces Superman's role as he's not supposed to be this kind of hero guy. People talk about him like he is. Flash says, oh, he's my hero. But none of these things ever happened in the other films. Like, he was never that character. And now he's now he's always wearing the black suit and he's all these futures where he's going to be bad. So obviously in Zack Snyder's head, his version of the character, like you said, his version was always Superman's going to be a bad guy. He's going to be a great villain. He never wanted Superman to be good. So all of a sudden Man of Steel makes sense to me now. Because it tees up that direction. It like reinforces it. Exactly. That's a fair point. And actually it is interesting because I think that was, you know, people would often gripe around, people struggled with the Batman of that universe, his logic around, we have to, we have to, we, if we have to, you know, if it, there's even one percent chance that he will go bad, then we need to be absolutely certain that we take him down. If there's, if that one percent chance of him going evil, so yeah, to your point, that it's that kind of sort of character interaction, that dialogue, that is to reinforce what he always wanted to do with the character. 
And, like, he's scary in this, man, when he comes back. Like, he's actually given... Superman has given very little to do in this film, actually. He's oh, very little. Very little to do, which is insane. This is a four-hour film. We'll get to that in a sec. And he's, you know, he's, he's barely in it. When he comes back, they're afraid. They're afraid of him. It's like, oh, my God, he's, he's evil. And even when he's back, like, there's kind of... Is he is he bad? Is he pissed off? Like what what mood is he is he here? He's only seems to be content when he's with Lois. But then the bit where he's pummeling Steppenwolf, there's a shot where it cuts back up, uh, and it's just him with a furious face on him, and he's laser beaming the skull off him, and like it's a terrifying version of Superman. Yeah. So like he's coming to save the day, and honestly, I was watching it, th- and maybe this, like this is obviously the effect Zach I think wanted to have on people viewing it but like i was like it was making me nervous watching that superman thing and he's just gonna turn to them oh my god like look how cross he is look how pissed he is exactly exactly and like in joss whedon's version i remember we were talking about this before and you were like well it's not consistent which i completely get but superman comes in and says i'm a big fan of truth but I'm also a big fan of justice. And then <laughs> he, he punches him a few minutes later and he says, this guy's still bothering you. And he sounds like Superman. Yeah, it's very, very roguish kind of like Christopher Reeve-esque, which I, <laughs> but that, but that also is too jarring because that's not the Superman we had. Exactly, the- exactly. <laughs> so, so I actually have, I have a quick question for you here. Yes. Because we, we have been quite negative and I just think, I think it's a negative film overall. I don't think it yeah, makes it me this way. Oh, yeah. do you want to talk about some positives or things you d- we did like? I want to ask you your favourite scene because I think it's probably going to be my favourite scene as well. Oh, I'm trying to remember them all. Do you, here, look, you go first because I'm trying to cycle through. I've, I've got more just bits I liked, but they're, they're kind of inconsequential. Okay, I found, I found it very difficult to like a lot of it. But, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this scene comes out of nowhere and blew my fucking mind. And... <laughs> It was completely cut from the Joss Whedon version. And the problem is, I understand why it was. But the Flash goes back in time and saves everybody. And the music is outrageously good. It looks amazing. It's It just, it literally comes out of nowhere with no no reference, no hint. It just comes out of nowhere. The, the, what happens is Steppenwolf puts some other boxes together and it's about to destroy the world and the Flash just goes like, do it, break your rule. Even though he's never mentioned the rule before or how he could do any of this stuff. But he goes back in time, the music is amazing, the crescendos, it's it's a mind-blowingly good scene. It's like that scene in Man of Steel where Superman flies into the centre of the world. Yes. It's, I, I, I was like, this is amazing. And not only does it not make any sense in the context of the rest of the film, it's never mentioned again, it's never brought up, it's never referenced, and Zack Snyder himself undercuts the scene instantly. Because that that scene, firstly, should be saved for the ending of a Flash trilogy, where all of a sudden he realises the power and how much he can do. Yeah. And at the very end, he's, he's, he's about to save the day, and he does it, and like basically he's trying to get back to Cyborg, and he does it, and he reverses time, saves everyone, and goes back to Cyborg. And what should happen is, the scene should breed, and slow down, and be like, oh my, and everyone should be like, oh my god, what just happened? And the villain should be like, oh my god. What actually happens is that, he touches Cyborg, and then it goes into Cyborg's head, and another crazy scene happens, and already I'm like, just stop, just, just let the scene breed, just let me, let me, let me process what happened. So, like, uh, Zack Snyder already undercuts the best scene in the film. And it's an outrageously good scene. But it just uh, really frustrated me when it happened because I didn't even get time 
to let it sink in or let it settle with me before it's already fucking moved on to the next absolutely outrageously stupid scene which has nothing to do with anything like <laughs> I did like that is that where the ground is like reforming in front of the world is rebuilding yes. and everything so that looks incredible but again and this is every scene okay like up top this is the most Zack Snyder film I've ever seen in my life it is so Zack Snyder <laughs> Uh, like everything yes. about it everything about it every creative decision every every scene every decision like at points where he does have the film breathe it's inexplicably there and then other times then he rushes in these other and mashes together these action sequences on top of really unusual creative decisions and that well, that, I, that I that I don't like um for example really was was really enjoying that um and this is a, more of a pet peeve i can understand why this isn't a real criticism but loved the world rebuilder thing didn't that kind of came out of nowhere for, for me it actually took me a, a few seconds to process what the hell was actually going on <laughs> right it was a, i was like oh this is happening fucking hell wow okay so they lost and he's going back in time like this is fucking mental if this is happening in this film yeah. but there's this weird like very visceral like reassembly of the other justice league members where you see their blood and their guts they're like sinews connect back together you literally watch and this is also ironic. You see Cyborg come back to life and he's oddly more flesh and muscle than you would expect for a Cyborg. <laughs> so not only did I find that creative decision odd, like, did you have to go that graphic with it? And look, that's more personal preference, I think. Obviously, a lot of people, a lot of people are thinking, oh, that's such a nitpick. Still, though, I thought it was odd. But also, I was like, isn't he mostly robotic? I was like, I'm sure it looked like his hand or his bones were in there. I was like, this is unusual to me. <laughs> that this Is he not like just mostly head and then the rest of it is r- robotics? Yeah. But anyway, I just thought that was that was another example of Zach, Zach thought, oh, not that this adds anything to it, but wouldn't it be cool if their guts reassembled in that scene? Like, you've got all the animators going, okay, so Zach, we've, we've built this, we've modeled this whole landscape in this world, so we're slowly, we've destroyed it and we're going to play it in reverse. It's going to look incredible. The flat, and he's like, yeah, but make sure you add the guts coming back in too. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I feel this, this doesn't add to the scene in any way. It's a split second. Do it. Get those guts, <laughs> and you get those guts back together. All right, guys, are you fucking out? You're out of here. You know it's like, oh, okay, Joss, or oh, okay, quick, okay, Zach, yeah, okay, yeah. Zach. Actually, quick sidebar on that. I will say it was okay to kind of talk. I'm, I know we're jumping all over the place, but I think this is the nature of this kind of thing. Speaking of effects, real ups and downs for me throughout this film. <laughs> so really up and down. Oh. Oh, like it's a roller coaster. Like some bits I thought like were visually very arresting and like interesting looking. Other bits were sloppy and like messy, which is odd considering they've had two goes of this now. But at the same time, I was heartened when I again I'm watching a lot of behind the scenes because I've been trying to get their perspective so that I go into this having watched it with more of an appreciation of what they went through to kind of get this out the door. And like to be fair, it's really fun to see like like the effects crews how jazzed they were to be able to come back to this or finish things or get a chance to rework some stuff that they were working on and like and all that and like that shows in some of the better scenes actually it's interesting the ones they talk about the ones that they're proud of where it looks good and coherent or where it looks like it's a finished product basically you mm-hmm. they're jazzed about that but you know very 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 chopped and ready i think and actually this is a lot of superhero films are guilty of this I, i'm i feel like i'm you're always you're you're, you're very vividly aware of when it's just entirely cg Oh, in, di- in this film particularly. And there's a lot of that in this, unfortunately. And like, that's... Look, oh my God. I mean, Avengers Endgame is basically an animated movie. Like, at no point do I feel like they're on a physical set, really, with the exception of where it's just human characters talking to each other. So it's a similar situation here. Also, it, that's also down to 
Zack Snyder's visual style. It's like he likes yes. a very stylistic approach, not a realistic approach, which actually summarizes the whole film. But that feeds into my exactly what I was saying earlier. But because of that, it feels like you're not on Earth. It feels like you're in some fantasy dimension. A fantasy land. Like fantasy land it is. And because of that, then again, the humanity is stripped away or the relatability is stripped away. So because you have no consequence, you're like, well, it's not Earth that's going to get destroyed. It's some strange fantasy weird land where all the clouds are always like a weird pinkish hue or something like you know so because i'm glad you said that because the whole way through i was like i can't relate to the way this is done every scene (laughs) the background looks like it's about to like you know turn into styrofoam or something someone's going to touch a a set and it's just going to fall over it was so strange yeah and and yeah i don't know there's a lot sorry but i will i'll jump back to some bits i did like i I enjoyed the dark side battle uh, just as a set piece. Like I, I understand your logic of it undercuts the villain. I actually did. I actually didn't think of the larger implications of that, but it did occur to me. I was like, wow, that was easy. They just knocked him back pretty quickly. <laughs> that, was, that was very easy. Uh, but, me and my roommate were watching it, and then like he, your man axes him in the shoulder. Apparently, that's Ares, by the way, who's played by David Thewlis in Wonder, Wonder Woman. He axes him the shoulder, and I literally immediately went, you should have gone for the head. Like, it was so similar, but actually <laughs> technically beforehand, or maybe it wasn't, I don't know. Like, that, I thought that was a fun sequence. But I remember thinking, this is just classic Zack Snyder that I'm getting. One of the one of the biggest moments of enjoyment I'm getting out of this film has nothing to do with the Justice League, really, or, like, his larger universe. It's this self-contained, flashy Aquan sequence, which, which is his speciality. Like, there's no story, it's just visual set pieces and because they even look like the guy uh, and it looks like you're, it looks like Leonidas from 300 exactly ex- exactly what I was thinking all of a sudden you're like it I looks like, like him yeah. it's the same person <laughs> abs 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 and beard and he's in a <laughs> loincloth and yes I mean, I, I mean, like, I mean that looked it looked great like that sequence looked great like it was interesting and there was there was a bloody green lantern and again the classic uh, Zack Snyder touch where they're like, yeah, let's let's get this violent now that we can get away with it. Let's chop his hand off. That's yeah. how you stop a Green Lantern. I was like, whoa, this is happening. Like, this is visceral. And they really wedged that axe in there into Darkseid. Like, I, I, either way, I thought the sequence was super interesting. And I kind of, I, I, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why we needed it, but I enjoyed it. That's for sure. That was, that was good fun. Other fun parts, other things. I genuinely, and look... <laughs> Whether it's needed or not, I I have to say I found Ezra Miller Miller as the fact he's funny. Like he is funny, and he carries I, for me anyway. He carries for the most part. There's some very wobbly bits with him in there, but I, I mean, for his com- comedic beats, he carries the comedy of this film on his shoulders. Oh, there's nobody else. He's he's the only character who, uh, who, as I said, has a bit of a personality, who's a bit different than the other guys. The answer, the question, the word you look for is almost relatable he's almost human the way he reacts to things he's aware of how daft this is yeah and then all of a sudden he just randomly goes back in time with no explanation <laughs> or no setup and remember i was saying earlier about setup and i said about bumblebee and bumblebee we talked about this on this podcast about how the main character in that she she's a diver and is connected to her father and she tries to die but she can't because her father's dead and then at the very end of the film bumblebee gets trapped in water and she dies all of a sudden because it implies the connection she's made you know oh yes and you're yes like, yes ah, it ties what happened earlier in the film and the relationship part of it and there's a whole true line of things that happen earlier and pay off later in this film, the Flash just walks back, like just randomly goes back in time. It, like there's literally what? There's one tiny minuscule bit of setup where he runs fast and a box goes slightly backwards. 
And that's the only setup for him going back in time and recreating everybody. When's the box thing? When does that happen? When they're bringing back Superman back to life and they have to touch the mother box on the water at the exact moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do remember that actually. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, it's hard to recall what's happening in the film because so much happens. So Too much happens, that's the problem. They just try and wedge it all in together. But again, for a good point, the music was excellent for the most part. I For the most part. I disagree. I think it was a... I think when it was good, it was great. A lot of lazy shit in there. Will we talk about the music for a sec and the creative decisions there? Go, go for it. Um, I'm sorry, but... The, there, there are creative decisions around how Zach again going back to his I guess music video and trailer days where the slow-mo combined with a popular song <laughs> as a slow version like bye bye what why are we still doing this and also like he does that four or five times in like the first hour of the film like it's ridiculously indulgent this film is him drunk in his own champagne when I said it's the most Zack Snyder film ever it's because it's four hours of his motifs just stitched together that's why some of it feels incoherent because he just goes from one inter- what he thinks is an interesting idea to another interesting creative idea from his perspective. And I'll give you a perfect example of, I think, what for me is like, you know, music combined with sort of creative decision making combined with, you know, pacing and my issues with the film as a whole stem from, this is the, this is the snapshot I'm going to use. There's a bit where Ackman jumps back into the ocean in some Icelandic town or something. <laughs> and it's, and, and I'm not kidding. For two minutes, there's like this weird Icelandic folk chant that happens. And there's a girl sniffing his woolly jumper, the Aquaman that he, that he discards. He just keeps taking off clothes, by the way. He, he like I'm not saying that it's like, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not saying it's egregious or anything, but like he comes out with a wet t-shirt on and then he goes back to the water, but takes off the wet t-shirt to jump back into the water at one point. But anyway, that's beside the point. But this, this like it's so indulgent. Like, at one point, like, she starts this weird chant, and all the village folks are chanting and are singing this weird folk song or this weird hymn. And it keeps going. And then I'm thinking, then it cuts to a different angle. I was like, oh, he's just burning the water. It's about to cut. Cuts. Actually, no, it's just cut back to your one's face. She's still singing. And then it just keeps cutting between all the townsfolk. And it's just, it's such indulgence. And it's such, it, it's, it's, and it's a microcosm of the larger problem I have with the film <laughs> around, you know, like... Like, nothing was left on the cutting room floor. Nothing. He's just like, well, we filmed them. We got them. We, like, we brought them all in and we had them do the folk song. So why not give the audience... The audience want this random Icelandic folk song in there to watch. Rob, can I, can I highlight that the funniest part of that scene as well? That's actually something you, did, you didn't say. But, like, the funniest part is that Batman was right there. And, like, they're all doing that. And Batman just, like, like kind of edges off in the corner and walks away. Because obviously <laughs> he's just there like, oh, okay. What's, uh, what's going on here? What do I do here now? I just... I just I'll just head off them. Like, like it's like they say all, all all helicopters are grounded for six days, and he's like, oh, I just, I guess I'll just, I'll just walk back. Like, and he's just like looking at them all doing this like random chant song, and he's like, oh, oh Jesus, it's like, <laughs> like, and it's funny because he, like, I know for a fact that Snyder probably thinks that this is really interesting. This is this is a moment for you to breathe and really process what he means to the townspeople. Like, this is the claim they'll make, but that's too much of that. Um, like th- 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 that's one sort of weird like that's not just musical decision that's just a creative decision that completely misses the mark and is, and is odd like I don't like if you're trying to defend that you have to give me a legitimate reason why he felt like he had to include that in there for that long in what was clearly a film that was already too long to begin with but he just decided oh well I can put it all in so I, I just will so why won't I yeah I filmed it therefore it goes in another similar example of like my struggle with like I feel like I'm jumping all over the place the score really relies on the chant sound 
I felt like I was watching the opening of Troy over and over again. <laughs> you know the... Ah, 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 and I thought, okay. Specifically when Wonder Woman comes on the scene. That, that yeah. They played that one bar of music every single time. It, this big chanty thing. And what's annoying for two reasons is, one, okay, fair enough, it made sense the first time where they're in the, the Amazon homeworld. And like when they're introducing them. And it's it's that's like a sort of an environment setting sound. And it's... But it's ubiquitous in films that are kind of in the Mediterranean or in the Middle East. It's almost yep. kind of lazy. Like, it's very lazy. It's almost just like you hear, it's you're like, trope. oh. It's a 100% yeah, it's a, it's a trope. It's a trope. But they keep using it. Like, like at one point, she's like in London and they're using the music or something. I'm like, this doesn't make sense here. Like this, These are odd creative decisions around the music and the soundtrack. But then what's crazy to me as well that's doubly frustrating is Hans Zimmer wrote a fucking banger of a Wonder Woman riff and... It's not in it. Or it's like once. It's barely in it. A lot of the time it's substituted for this weird chanting music. So again, a creative decision which is like it's all style and no substance. And oh my God. Like the more I talk about it, I, don't, I know it sounds like I hated this more than I I, I did. But like there, there, there's a lot of this these this decision making throughout the film, which is very frustrating and, to watch. And even, even the, the way you're saying about the music and like Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer created a whole Superman score that they can bring it at any moment and it comes in the film like twice and, and you're like just use more of that use what use the good stuff you've created like there's already they've got the best people in the world working on this but they're kind of throwing some of that out like it, it comes back very briefly when Superman blocks Steppenwolf's axe there's a nice yeah. actual there's a nice 30 seconds to a minute of that original course score that Tom Hockenberg I think is the guy who did yeah. this one and he adapted it quite nicely it doesn't have the same full sound that Zimmer's able to create. But anyway, like, it's a nice reference. But, and I'm speaking of that scene, can we just say, like, because I want to touch upon very, very quickly, but, like, the black suit, you understand from a narrative, thematic, and story point of view, it's awful. It makes no sense. Oh, I want to... it wanted, ruins I, the dramatic impact of him returning and saving the day. Man, we're so on the same page here. So the black suit is another example, again, of why I feel um, Zack Snyder doesn't understand the characters. So, correct me if I'm wrong, that black suit, he picks that when it's Superman with... He comes back from the dead and he's got like his... his he's not as strong or he's lost his powers or something. Yes, he dies. Yeah, he dies. Darkseid kills him and he comes back. Doomsday kills him, sorry. So the decision around the black suit, it like there's significance to why he selects it. Whereas in this film, he's just walking through the ship and for no for an inexplicable reason the fucking original suit is behind him it's there it's behind it's there. him and he inexplicably picks the black one and you're and people are like why because he's a bit cross because he's a bit dour is that why he picks is it supposed to reflect his mood but my issue with that is is again it reinforces that that like again I, we're allowed to compare this to the avengers films because this is this this film was rushed out because the event like this became a thing because the avengers the MCU was created and the Avengers was a huge success. Let's not beat around the bush here. But in those films, certainly as they progressed, decisions are not, like creative decisions like that, character beats like that, that reference the comics delivery, they're very deliberate. Whereas by comparison, the black suit was just like, clearly Snyder doesn't know the significance or if he does, he just chose to ignore it because he just let Superman pick the black suit because it's cool, not because of what it, it, it the story or the origins of it in the the comics. And like that—that's reflective throughout the film, like because it's cool. And do you want to know something even worse? Do you want to know something that's maybe going to color your decision even more? He—he he, Zack Snyder came out and said he and like I was talking to somebody about this, and they were like, "Well, Ross, actually, he wore the suit because he needed more power from the sun." So that scene where he's in the Jesus pose, he was actually absorbing the sun, and the black suit does that better. And I'm like, 
Where was that oh. in the film? Where was that in the film? Was that, is that serious? Did Snyder say that? Snyder came out and said that in an interview. Well, see, he does a lot of this stuff after the fact, though. Why not just have the robot? You know, the robot that's in the ship that's like, oh, the future's set in stone now. All right, how do you know that? But anyway, why didn't that robot come down and say, Superman, your suit is ready, but because you are back from the dead, you need to get rays from the sun and the black suit absorbs it better. It's a four-hour movie. It takes every other indulgence except for explaining basic things that happen in it. How come it doesn't take time to explain why Flash can go back in goddamn time? There's a scene where Cyborg is like, this is the character and the humanity he gets. He looks at a woman who's a waitress and he makes a stack of money go bigger because he feels sorry for her. This is not character. That's not development. And like, is that like, that Zack Snyder explains these things afterwards. Well, Cyborg was actually a nice guy. What he was doing there was, or, or the reason he wears the black suit is because of this. Like you said, the original Superman suit is right behind him. It only happens because it happens in the comics. Therefore, it happens here. But that's, that's not enough. You need to give me a reason in the movie continuity, exactly like you said, like Marvel does. Yeah, and again, like, I, I, I'm trying not to reference Endgame, but, like, if we use that as to make this overall point around, they got to those big character beats because they tease them and they reference them and they establish, you know, how certain characters got to these famous character beats over the course of 20 films and how little hints and nods. Like, if we take, take Cap picking up the hammer. That's a that's the combination of exactly, twenty films exactly. of character building and teasing, and there's even a nod to that in oh the potential of it in Ultron, which isn't even a good film, but like even in those even in their weaker films, they they make little references and nods here. Whereas in this film, this is four hours of Zach trying to tick off his his Justice League checklist of his DC comic book characters checklist of like, oh, I know fans would think it's cool if they saw this, so I'm just going to squeeze this in. The Flash just goes back in time. I'm just going to squeeze this in. Exactly. It's not earned. It's just it's just forced. Yes, no, none of it is earned. It, there's, there's four hours of context, yet somehow that four hours doesn't earn any of the decisions that it makes. And it speaks to a larger problem about this whole universe around, it reinforces how this was, this is, they rushed to get to this point. This is a four hour film. Four hours for a film tells you this is two films. That's what that tells you. This is two two-hour films. Yeah. And, and like the reason it's so long is because they have to spend so much time establishing backstories. And like that's welcomed. Like I welcome the, the cyborg backstory because we've no understanding as to why he's able to do certain things or what his motivations are in the Justice League one. So I understand the logic behind his backstory and why they felt it was necessary for this film. But that also should be the indicator to you like, oh no, like... We can't use Cyborg as a, a cyborg as a as a as a key character here because people don't understand why he's able to do certain things. So I guess <laughs> yeah. we have to establish that first. That goes for the Flash. That goes for Aquaman. But the problem was then that means you spent two two and a half hours just setting up what these characters can and can't do and how they slot into the film. So that means then you have to spend another two hours or an hour and a half actually addressing the the bad guy. Then the film, yeah. And like it's just it's just too much. They've just tried to do, and I like what I'm saying. Like it's ambitious. Like there's like they really tried to accomplish a lot in this. And like it's admirable in the sense if you think, wow, they really took on a lot. But at the same time, less is more. Sometimes you don't have to hit every famous comic book character beat in the same film because you need to build up to it. You shouldn't have Flash go back in time. It's it that's a huge character moment. Don't do it when he was introduced two hours earlier. I don't even have an understanding of his basic of his basic powers. You know? And now he's yeah. doing that. And again, look, I, I'm going to have to keep pocketing this. How I know it sounds like we're, we're ratting on this. But these are just... This is just objectively the case. This is this is four hours of style over substance. The art of editing is lost here. Like, oh. like we've gone the other extreme where 
Joss Whedon realized, you know, God, we have to chop this up. And there was pressure, obviously, from executives like this needs to be pretty short because people aren't going to see this. We need to pack in as many viewings of this per day in cinemas to, to make our money back in this. By comparison, we've gone to the other extreme here. And it's this four hour indulgent Zack Snyder fest. And I will say, Zack Snyder, by all accounts, going by the behind the scenes, he seems like a lovely guy. Because so, I have a question for you, though. Can I ask then? Because so this is what I was saying earlier about why I understand Joss Whedon's decisions. And Rob, here, after you watching that film, here is the question for you. And this will determine whether you realize it or not, whether you agree with me. So if you were Joss Whedon and you were handed the four-hour movie, the, did you understand why he made the cuts he made? Even to amazing scenes like that flash scene. Can you understand why he had to be like, well, none of this is set up. It's too much. It's too big. None of the characters earned this. And like, I have to make a movie that people can comprehend. Like, can you understand why a lot of the cuts he made were made? A hundred percent. I think like he was handed a poison chalice because first of all, like it's so difficult to take somebody else's work and try and shape it. But like, if you're already given the directive, and, like, you would also know, like, if, you, if you're if you had it four hours, you're like, well, this isn't a realistic thing I can release in cinemas. Like, exactly. How can I release this? Yeah. It's just not something you would release. It's just people, people, like, that's half a working day. Like, you can't, people don't have that time, or, you know, you, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't get enough people to go see it if it's four hours long. So he had to make tough decisions, and I guess what, what happened then is, and I can see probably where you're getting at is, he starts cutting stuff then realizes, oh, well, I have cut that bit. That now means I have to cut that bit because otherwise it tees up something that doesn't make sense or doesn't exist in the cut now. So what happens was, when he removed something, he realized, oh, well, this actually impacts the larger sort of character beats that are in here that I exactly. also now have to remove because otherwise they're teeing up nothing. It was either remove a lot of it or none of it, I think is what ended up happening based on, you know, given what he had, given the time constraints yes. and, what, and what he had to work with. That's what I would say. Yeah, and, and he went, you know what... I have to take out these humongous things because I have to try and ground these characters. Like, Superman was always the most out there character and the Zack Snyder version, he's not anymore because everybody has outlandish character traits and powers. Like, Mm. everybody is so unrelatable that they can do everything and Batman is just there punching lads with, like, batarangs and stuff like that. So, like, (laughs) come on. like. So, I have one last thing to say, okay? Mm. This is is all my points covered off then. This This is a bonus point. Whenever any fight started, Rob, have you played Goat Simulator? No. So Goat Simulator is a game for like the PC and the PlayStation 4 where like it's just one of those games I, where I, the I, physics I know don't it. make sense. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I've yeah. seen funny clips, I think, of it actually. Yeah, and like a goat and if you touch anything, it like flies off in the distance or if you like touch it uh, like a propane tank, it explodes everywhere. The physics of this movie are like that. Wonder Woman has a fight at the start and every time she touches somebody, they just like ragdoll away like a goat simulator. And I just, the whole way through, I couldn't stop laughing because all I could think of was goat simulator. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a great comparison. Yeah. So that colored my, my, my viewing a little bit, I guess. Like if we're, if we're to try and sort of, this is a first, our first pass. So it's a bit rough and ready in terms of obviously, Ross didn't know what I was going to say. I didn't know what he was going to say. But I think at the end of the day, if you enjoy this because you enjoy these characters, or no, because you enjoy the the, the Zack Snyder version interpretation, I can see why you would love this. Oh, because you'd beat off to this, like oh my god, because it's like four hours of all of of the, of that world that you get to enjoy, and you know there you get more. And to be fair, there are things like that are well. There's there are like in by the added length, there are things that are welcomed. I will say, you know. I enjoyed um, I thought the finale was better or at least it was more coherent I understood the logic and the game plan and there was better there was more the action make, made more sense because J- Joss Whedon obviously had to chop and change so much sometimes characters were getting from A to 
yeah, yeah. D and I didn't know how they were getting there. It was very confusing. Whereas there's actually a flow and it makes sense. And like, I, it feels more equal. I f- it does feel like uh, Aquaman and, and Wonder Woman are kind of holding their own against Steppenwolf. It's, it doesn't feel like they're just getting pooned around the place and then Superman comes in. And also you understand because of a very welcome cyborg backstory, at least I understand why he's able to do what he's able to do to separate the mother boxes. You know, the Flash is doing something interesting around like building up this speed for time rather than just running around like just sort of saving this one sort of car that like that that was a, an issue for me like there's the finale is good the cyborg's backstory is definitely interesting i think a bit too high concept though like there's weird stuff going on in there like oh, in his yeah. weird in, his weird internet digital mind world wherever he is like there's a bit where like he's talked about what what's happening and you see a bull and a bear fight it's like this weird like slap at like the the top one percent in wall street like what's that about again weird creative decisions like why is that in there because it looks cool, Rob. Because it looks cool. This is it. This is four hours of a film that stitches together with moments that look cool and certainly serves the Zack Snyder vision. But I don't think it's a good representation of those comic book characters. And like you know, like I've high expectations based on the, the the Batman films of the past. Certainly the Nolan ones. Just the way that he prioritizes weird creative decisions versus simple story beats that would be helpful. Let's let's the litmus test I think for this film for people who really enjoyed it though. Like, would you, in all honesty, recommend someone who has no background to the Snyderverse or or only has a passing interest or anything in these characters? Would you genuinely, t- if you even if you love the film, would you genuinely tell them to sit down and watch this four-hour film? I did that very thing, and the person turned around to me at the last battle. They pressed the X on the PlayStation Four controller and said there was forty-five minutes left, and they just said, "I can't do this anymore." <laughs> and that's that's that says everything right there, Rob. What I think is hilarious is that. In this whole discussion, we've talked about the movie, we haven't even come to the last 40 minutes, which is the whole other verse and the whole future apocalypse shite. And isn't that so telling? Isn't it so telling that it's so irrelevant to everything that's happening that we didn't even factor it into our consideration here? Yeah. And I don't think we even should at this point. No. I would just say, given our 20, 20 second quick, quick summary, Justice League, Snyder Cut Rob, go. I think it's... Only okay, and that's with me looking through the lens of it's certainly better than the, the, the Whedon version. I will say that it's outrageously ambitious, but through that same lens, they tried to do too much. And in a lot of the cases, despite, you know, you know there's some welcome character backstory, there's too many moments of style over substance and too many, deci- you know, too many odd creative decisions that were made because they looked cool with really no purpose to the story. And then, ironically, at the sacrifice of actual what would have been useful story information and then what you get is this extreme like it's very bloated you get this really bloated four hour cut like four hours isn't a realistic runtime for a film and you know for people who commented saying oh well like you'd sit down and you'd watch you know a tv show for four hours maybe but at least i know in my brain that if one episode ends after half an hour i can cut it off at that point without feeling like you know i'm left in this jarring sense of you know in the middle of a story or something the, the film is not the masterpiece i think that fans are, are are claiming it is but i can understand why fans of the snyderverse would like it but i would not recommend people watch this personally yeah it's too long and they wouldn't get it they wouldn't enjoy it they've no vested interest in it at all and it doesn't build up interest i i to be honest i have a really simple way for me and this is what i look for in stories i look for character i look for personalities and that's my stuff that's my choice to be fair that's what i look at but Exactly the way I've described this film is that it's there's, there's there's no humanity to it. 
There's no humanity whatsoever. The characters never think about the grand scale, about, oh my God, the world's going to be destroyed. They never they never reflect on it. They never interact with anybody else. You never see any reactions from anybody. Cyborg's dad dies at one point. Nobody really consoles him. There's no. zero humanity. And that really frustrates me because I'm, I'm all, again, using Bumblebee as the example, they do a simple thing at the start of Bumblebee where Bumblebee appears afraid when he comes back. He forgets his, his memory's gone and the girl goes to touch him and he forgets his memory and he like shakes. And that was enough to humanize him to me because it was a human reaction. No character in this entire movie has a human reaction. Therefore, I can't relate to it. And that's what I was getting at when I said the Joss Whedon decisions. Everything he did seemed to be to try to humanize the characters. And he did a way, he went too overboard. Oh yeah, boy did he. Uh, he did and it's a terrible film but this version has zero humanity and that's my final take I guess is what I will say that's totally fair also another creative decision and again like you know people think it's artsy but again it's style of substance this this movie is arranged into six chapters they're arbitrary they make no sense there's no reason for them like it's just pure indulgence and like I've watched a video where Zach says oh like you know I always envision this in chapters but he doesn't explain why or how one chapter leads to the next it's still just like a. It still just follows a fairly basic structure. The chapters don't actually. If when one chapter becomes the next, nothing significant has happened necessarily. Yeah, or there's not an ending or a conclusion or anything. It's just no. he just randomly puts a book ending at one point to say, "Well, that's part one over." Yeah, and like he he starts all the chapters with quotes from what happens in the, the that following chapter, and they're just random quotes. None of them are so half of them aren't even significant. One of them is yeah. just Aquaman saying. Uh, I don't agree with that Batman or something like that and that's the quote that he thinks is significant as a, a sort of a, chap- a chapter topper like it frustrated me that just these decisions are made that thinking that oh this is a really interesting stylistic or story choice when it really it's just not it's just it's just stuff it's not doing anything like here's a great example and it really pissed me off and I know we're still rambling about this <laughs> The flashback story where he's like applying for a job in the pet store. Oh, Jesus Christ. First of all, because Zack Snyder uses so much slow motion, and again, there's too much of that in this, it actually undercuts the Flash's slow motion. Because now I'm just like, is this just Zack Snyder's slow motion or is this actual super speed slow motion? Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like, it's unusual. Oh, completely agree. And and again, indulgent. Why does there have to be so much slow motion? I know it's your style, but less is more. But anyway... That whole, the physics of that whole scene anyway, like if we even leave that aside, like I don't know how such a catastrophic car crash happens when the two vehicles are moving at 20 miles an hour. But anyway, that's besides the point. The girl is flying through the air. It's funny because initially I was thinking, oh, they're doing something clever here. They're trying to reinforce how the Flash can't just quickly grab her and bring her down because he's moving too quickly. You know, he could, he could hurt her. But then it takes the classic odd creative turn as is the story for this film and he starts he grabs a hot dog out of the air and pockets it <laughs> so weird to me and i remember watching the thing and oh i was like why did you do that like you've just made what could be a visually very interesting and it kind of is interesting moment and i guess and people are like oh well the payoff is because he feeds the dogs at the end no not for me that was weird he prioritized that hot dog while there's a girl and i know like it doesn't matter it just again what, what is that decision that like oh he grabs the hot dog out of the air like what is that decision but Rob that's that's Iris don't you get that that's Iris from the comics don't you get that wasn't that explained in the film <laughs> is that a, is she significant apparently she's a significant character I don't know I don't read the Flash comics but yeah apparently that's Iris who's a significant character and again like I said earlier about the black suit if you don't explain that to me in the film it means nothing to me that's bullshit oh. you can't retroactively put 
significance onto something. Oh, well, that was Iris West, or that was Iris whatever. That's bullshit. That's not in the scene. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that in this to begin with. I mean, sure, he films stuff knowing that that's that, you know, like, Marsh Manhunter's in this. That we know that he's in it because that actually spawned from a, from a fan theory. Again, not deliberate. It's, you know, there's fan service in here. And look, at the end of the day, I didn't like the film particularly. I didn't think it was great. It was too indulgent, too long. But, you know, I guess he's, I guess this is a reward for people who campaign to have it. So, you know, this is their reward. This is what they get for wanting this version of the film. I don't know why they want this character version, but this is this is the result of that. And, like, moments, like, including Jared Leto and, like, including The Martian, confirm that this is him, like, giving in to fan service and giving in to, like, you know, fan suggestions. Like, The Martian was just a passing, like, oh, some things, oh, I bet this guy from Man of Steel is actually The Martian Man. Zack Snyder admittedly said, oh, I like that idea. I'm going to make that a thing. Yeah, let's just do it. Like, again, not deliberate. And it, and it even undercuts his own story in parts. But again, it's the, it's that reactionary thing. But it's like, Zach, don't pretend you care what the fans think after making two films that literally pissed all over what the fans think by having Batman kill people and Superman <laughs> kill people. Don't pretend now that you care about everything in the comics being represented. But look, yeah. I think at this point we've probably... Have we rambled on enough? We flood... Yeah, we flood dead horse here. And I think... I will, I'm going to finish with this. This is, I read this in a review, so I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here, but I think it's, it perfectly summarizes this film and the whole situation of what happened. I think the fan base that started going into, say, Man of Steel, fans of Superman, fans of DC, were expecting one thing and they didn't get it. No. And what's happened is now, Snyder has spent years making superhero films, superhero films that original kind of fans of superheroes didn't want. But what he ended up doing inadvertently was creating this, this really ardent Snyder fan base so what then happened is he's made films for that group of people and satisfied their demands and desires in what the, and what they want for their characters which is different to initially opinion to people who are familiar with Batman and Superman so he's he's not creating this for anyone just to pick up and watch this is to cater to you know diehard fans and people who campaign to get the film back and you know if they enjoyed it because of what it became then fair enough if you were to think of how the film has become what it is and just looking at how the characters are done and the creative decisions and how it came about like some of it is interesting some interesting set pieces but it's it's absolutely not for everyone so you can't get annoyed when people say it's bad or it's not good because you're caught up in this fan fervor because you've grown to love the universe and they haven't like that's that's what this this is the result of that's why there's such a chalk and cheese sort of reaction across the board here and like I know, we we even have friends who said they liked it. Yeah, well, I I have a friend who said eight out of ten. <laughs> yeah, but again, why? Maybe because you like this version. But you know, in terms of if we take the character history and like comparison, so they're like we can compare it again. Like we compare it to the MCU because this in itself is born out of that MCU world, the the cinema world that we live in these days. So I know so much to say, and not nearly enough time. Oh no, and I've, I've, I'm going to take what, exactly what you said and I'm going to reinforce it with my final thoughts are that this film is supposed to be the thing that like the boys parody and Watchmen parodies but because obviously Zack Snyder directed Watchmen and this he's obviously forgot that Superman is supposed to be just the beacon of hope he's supposed to be the hopeful character that Watchmen takes the piss out of with Dr. Manhattan and the boys takes the piss out of and all that but he's forgot that along the way and he just wants also these characters to be like them so superman's going to be bad superman's going to be gritty and they're all gritty and it's like no these are supposed to be the original characters and that's okay i'm i'm a super cynic you know me but i'm okay with these characters being 
ridiculously hopeful, ridiculously optimistic. That's what they're supposed to be. And somewhere along the line, Zack Snyder got all that mixed up and the fans got on board with that and went, yes, yes, his vision's great. I want to see a gritty Superman. But no, Superman's not supposed to be gritty. Superman is supposed to be a beacon. You know, Wonder Woman, all these guys, they're supposed to be bright. They're supposed to be colourful. They're wearing spandex. They're supposed to be super heroic and they're supposed to be a bit, a bit grand. And unfortunately, again, like I said, Zack Snyder mixed up along the way. He, he he liked the characters in Watchmen. He fetishized them. He thought they were supposed to be cool heroes. And now he wants these characters to be like that, to be cool-looking heroes. And he forgot that there's supposed to be this inherent goodness in them. And that's my that's my final thoughts on the Justice League Zack Snyder cut. He, he did it. And you know what? Incredible that they actually made it and they released it. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. My final question where does that leave the DCU? Are they going to res- hashtag restore the Snyderverse? Ah, no, they are not. Apparently, it's not done great, even with all the, the huge publicity and hype. So, and they've already, somebody came, already came out and said, well, we do enjoy that. He's had his trilogy and now we're moving on with our multi-universal characters or whatever. So they're they're done with that. Like, Good. But I, I get, regardless though, is that, yeah, we I think people would just prefer to see the standalone stuff. People are enjoying that. So, yep. yeah, more to that. More, I, I would prefer to see more of that, personally. Yeah, give me give me a new Superman. I mean, I mean Henry Cavill's amazing. Just give me a version of him where he's a good heroic super guy. I would enjoy that. I would I I I would enjoy you know if if someone managed to hone it in effectively. I would really enjoy. And I know they're supposed to be filming this year. I think Ezra Miller as the Flash. There's he's too floaty when he's running, but that's a creative decision yeah. again that looks weird. Maybe they could fix the sort of gangly run. I think it just it's just odd to me that he trips when he's aware of everything in super slow motion. But anyway, you know I think that would be a lot of fun. Aquaman was not particularly good but I mean it was rambunctious it was outrageous it was hilarious it was just throw the shit at the wall and see what people enjoy which I kind of respect in a weird way but also mm-hmm. I could see why people got enjoyment from that you know there's there's potential in fleshing out those existing characters that he's you know he's brought to the fore but I don't think they're going to continue with that nah this, just this, le- this le- lean into leave the silliness now. lean into yeah. the silliness some silliness is okay guys they're superhero films silliness is okay it's fine it's fine to be bright it's fine to be give people something to look up to i'm okay with that i'm a cynic but still just it's okay to be the 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 embodiment of goodness like you know be captain america tightening his shield in front of thanos and a huge army and being like that guy's not giving up that's what you want that's what you want you know character beats character beats character beats baby and it's not and here's something that's not the same thing when aquaman says my man that's not the same thing. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, that tells you a lot about his... <laughs> I mean, I love Jason Momoa, I have to say. He is... Oh, so he's great. He's great. Like, that is... like Credit where it's due, the casting is fun. Like, cast, there's some good casting in there. and Him and Flash in particular for me. But Henry Cavill, for me, is the perfect Superman. From the ground up. He's the perfect man. He's... Well, look. I am in love <laughs> with him, but that's aside the point. <laughs> that's, that's a larger issue for another day. Maybe Cal Gadot is a bit wooden. Just to put that out there, maybe a little bit in this film, I don't think. I think. I think she was given a lot of exposition, which was tough on her. So. I mean, she walks into an exposition room at one point where all the paintings, <laughs> all the cave paintings on the wall, oh, yeah. are just pure exposition. And you're like, okay, Basil exposition from uh, Austin Powers is here, I guess. Mm. Oh, Basil exposition, brilliant! That's self <laughs> work comedy at its finest. But look, guys, but look, we did it, and like, <laughs> I, I, I imagine we're in the minority here in terms of how much we. <laughs> <laughs> we, oh, we, we are we, we, but I hope that if you've somehow listened to this whole thing that you've, you've realized how we arrived at that decision like if you know it 
it's it's not just out of spite for the fact that the film was made. I think it's extraordinary that it was made, and I watched it. Like I was intrigued to see how this this played out. But you know, it did not stick the landing for me I, or I, Ross. No, it did not. I'm, I was so intrigued to see if you enjoyed it. I'm, I guess I, I'm, I'm happy with your take, to be honest, because I, I, I have very much a similar take. Oh yeah, no, I like it is better than the Whedon one because the Whedon one was, I think, absolute garbage. It's it's barely a film. The Whedon one is barely a film. Bare, it's barely a if, film, if even. But I mean, look, you know, this and this is the result. I think you know, like we're saying, you know, you can't just grade it based on the previous one. But it no. is better than that one. <laughs> it's Exa- better, yeah, but technically, yeah but, you, yeah, but you can't just <laughs> technically. Say, yeah, technically. I mean, ah, yes, I guess it is. Look, everybody, we don't usually just talk about one film for an hour and 20 no. minutes or whatever. We usually have a podcast that covers lots of other stuff, and we have loads of episodes. So if you want to check out some of our stuff, there's lots to check out. But uh, next next uh, episode is going to be our 50th episode. So it's going to be some fun things there. But, that's uh, provided we even get that far. We might have lost all our listeners after this one. But, oh, you know, I, that's they're the risks you take in life. Yeah, I, I feel like you know. we're going to get a lot of one-star reviews after this. But you gotta, we got to <laughs> at least be consistent. If you leave a one-star review, you have to explain yourself. I'm not welcoming them. I'm just asking why. <laughs> yeah, just at least give us a few words. Those guys talk too fast. Those guys are assholes. I mean, that's yeah. something, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that gives, us, that gives us a jumping off point at the end of the day. Exactly. But, Rob, where can the people find our other episodes? If they're still interested, despite this slog of an episode, although we appreciate you listening, um, you can uh, go to the website, capunderstands.com. You can also go to the Twitter, which is also at capunderstands. Uh, you can also, if you just search I Understood That Reference at any good podcast outlet, typically we'll appear. So on the likes of uh, the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, SoundCloud is the is the OG one for us. Um, what else is there? Podtail, Podchaser. Basically, we keep appearing on more of these things and we don't know how we get there, but you know that's that's a symptom of the podcast universe but there's loads of places you can find us and also there's an email that ross mentioned up top to reiterate that's the lads at capunderstands.com so there you go i think that's the the gist that's that's the gamut that is the gamut as usual and look that was an extra long amazing i mean to be honest i'm really glad that we covered a lot of those points because we covered everything on my sheet and i'm glad i got the uh the, the goat simulator part out because that was perhaps <laughs> the most important part of it worth the hour wait to get to there worth the hour wait to get to there but i guess after all that everybody all that there is left to say is that i have been ross oh and uh, i've been rob and this has been uh, I understood that reference thanks very much for listening we do really appreciate it thank you we do indeed oh yeah. give, me, I'll give you a reach around oh <laughs> give me a reach around <laughs> characters <laughs> <laughs>